Welcome back to Vertical Vision. This week we're kicking off a series, I guess you could call it, on the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, where he makes a statement, I am, and then follows it up with the good shepherd, the door to the sheepfold, or as we're going to look at today, the bread of life. And in these statements, Jesus gives us some insight into who he is and what he does for us. So I hope, uh, as always, this blesses you, and let's dive in. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. So what we're going to be doing to close out this study is going over the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. You remember when God introduced himself to Moses, and Moses says, who shall I say sent me? God says, God says, uh, tell them I am that I am has sent you. The all-sufficient one, the self-existent one, the becoming one. And this is critical for us because Jesus is the I am. And these seven statements in the book of John he says, I am this, I am this, I am this. And he's showing us his sufficiency and his power and his presence in our lives. A few weeks ago, we looked at one of those statements. It was, I am the good shepherd, right? So what we're looking at today is the first of the seven in John chapter 6. And it is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, the bread of life. This is a powerful passage. And to help you understand, I want to give some of the backdrop because we tend to compartmentalize things in Scripture and we miss out on the big picture. Okay, so this is the backdrop of what we're going to be looking at today. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching and he is healing the sick. They're in the Galilee. And so Jesus is doing his ministry and the, the, the multitudes, the crowds are following him. They see the signs, the healings, and they're pursuing him. And in this, Jesus... Uh, sees that it's late and they're hungry and all of that. And he says to, I believe it's Philip, uh, he says, all right, you give them something to eat. And Philip's going, are you crazy? We have 5,000 men plus women and children. Okay, so let's just say roughly 10,000 people. And Jesus is saying to Philip, you feed them. And Philip's like, 200 denarii, that's 200 days wages isn't enough to give each one of these people a little bit. It's insufficient. And Andrew comes up and he says, well, I got this kid here and he's got uh, five barley loaves and a couple of fish. Jesus says, all right, have everybody sit down. And Jesus gives thanks and he blesses the loaves and the fish. And it says that the entire multitude was filled to the fullest. To the point that the disciples, the 12 of them, bring back 12 full baskets, one for each of them, in case they need a snack later on. So 
They've got this abundance of food. When this happens, the crowd sees it and goes, this is the prophet. Speaking of the prophet that Moses spoke of, the one who will come after him and who would be like him. Okay, and that was the understanding that this is going to be the Messiah. And they're like, okay, he's here. And they stormed him, Jesus, to try to make him king. Okay, so Jesus does his vanishing act. He disappears and heads up the mountain and the disciples take a boat and head off to Capernaum. They have a rough night because of the storm. They're freaking out and they think they're going to die. So here comes Jesus in the middle of the night walking on the water and he gets in the boat and ta-da, they're miraculously at the little uh, shoreline in Capernaum and a new day begins and it is that new day that we're looking at today. Okay, so I gave you chronologically yesterday the feeding of the 5,000 and the healings and the trying to make him king and proclaiming him as the prophet and uh, all of this great stuff. And now what happens the subsequent day? This is where Jesus declares himself to be the bread of life. So we pick up in John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, okay, so what they did was they went back to where they were the previous night. They know Jesus did not leave with the 12. So they go back expecting to find Jesus. He's not there, so they hop in a bunch of boats. Uh, he, I'm excited about this, if you can't tell. Um, but so they go and they don't find him, so they all hop in boats and they head off across the sea and they get to Capernaum and they find Jesus and they go, hey, Rabbi, when did you come here? How, how'd you get here? We, we know you didn't go with him, but how, how'd you get here? Jesus doesn't answer the question. Look at what he says. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. We're going to see that phrase a lot in this chapter. And some versions say, I'm telling you the truth. But basically it's, look, Here's the facts. This is, this is the truth here. You need to listen to this. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, which they did the day before, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, because he's talking about eternal life, okay? We're going to see that a lot in this passage too. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, and listen to, listen to what they're saying here. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That is the entire world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So 
Jesus calls them out right out of the gate. Initially, they were following him because they saw the signs, the miracles, the healings. And they're like, what is going on? And then when he fed them, they said, hey, this is awesome. Let's make him king. And there was a shift from trying to understand who he was to, hey, think of what we can get with him as our king. They were looking for the Messiah to deliver them from the bonds of Rome. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to establish Israel and the glory of the kingdom of Israel once again, as in the days of Solomon and David. And they were looking for him to be their deliverer, their savior in a natural realm. And you want to talk about a wonderful welfare program, okay? If Jesus can feed with five loaves and two fish an excess of 10,000 people, imagine what he could do for the country. Isn't this awesome? And Jesus lays this out. You're not looking to me for who I am. You're pursuing me because you have a full belly. You're looking for what I can do for you. This is a self-centered pursuit of Christ. And unfortunately, a lot of people pursue Jesus for what they want to get from Jesus. They go to church for what they can get from church. They Unfortunately, I believe a lot of it has to do with the fact that the way that Christ is presented, the gospel is presented in a lot of churches, is this is what Jesus can do for you. We market him. Come to Jesus and you'll be happy. Come to Jesus and you'll have peace. Come to Jesus and you'll find this, that, or the other. Come to Jesus and you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. You're going to have a full bank account. You're going to have the job of your dreams. You're going to have it made in heaven. And we put Christ in a position where people look to him as a means to an end rather than the end himself. And it doesn't work. Jesus calls him on the carpet for this. You're wanting to get from me rather than wanting me. And he says, pursue or work toward the things that are going to lead to eternal life, not the temporary things. And so the response is, well, what must we do to do the works of God? And we saw what he said, believe on him who he has sent. Believe on me, okay? Put your trust in me. The response is, well, what sign are you going to do so that we may believe? What work are you going to do that we might believe? And then they mention the manna and how the bread came down from heaven. So they're going, hey, and they're going right back to their full bellies. How about giving us another meal today? the way you did yesterday. God, well, they're saying Moses. Moses gave the people 
bread from heaven, how about you do it too? So we can believe you. They had already been seeing the healings. They had already seen the miracles the day before. They had already been fed miraculously by Jesus the day before. They want from him, not necessarily him. And we're going to see this shift where they're going from, I'm, going, I'm following Jesus to check him out, to I'm not liking what I'm hearing, to I'm leaving. And I think a lot of people today are in this boat where they see Jesus as a means to an end. Now, do we get a lot by coming to Christ and having a relationship with Christ? Absolutely. There are so many blessings and wonderful things now and for all eternity because of a relationship with Christ. But how many of us want to be in a relationship where the other person has that relationship with us solely because they want to get from us? Is that a kind of relationship we enjoy? Where people are just wanting to take, but they really aren't that interested with us ourselves? I think a lot of people have that heart toward Jesus. He's just a means to an end. And Jesus calls them out on this. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. They're thinking in the natural. Just a little bit before in the book of John, Jesus has dealt with the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, And Jesus is saying, if you knew who it was that is speaking with you, you would ask of him to give you a drink. And she says, sir, give me this drink so that I don't have to come to this well anymore. And then Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah and she goes back and she tells her Samaritan, they were, they were the outcasts, okay? They were the, the wrong side of the tracks, if you will, in, in Jewish society. And they come out and they listen to Jesus and they spend time with Jesus and they tell her, you know, we believe because of what you said, but now we believe because we believe. And they wanted Jesus. And Jesus did great things amongst them. But they came to Jesus for the sake of Jesus, not to get from him per se. And so it's the same, for, the same phrase here, but it's give us this bread. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. These are emphatic in the Greek. Never hunger and never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You've seen the, what I'm doing and all, you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We're going to see that phrase four times. Raise him up, raise it up on the last day. The resurrection, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about there. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says it twice now, okay? Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want to read you a uh, quote from Blaise Pascal concerning this. Has anybody ever heard the term a God-shaped vacuum? Okay, and it's associated with Pascal. That's actually not what he said. It's kind of the idea, okay? But it's not what he said. What he said is so much better, okay? Listen to what Pascal says. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. We live in a world of hungry people, thirsty people, hungry for love, hungry for hope, hungry for life, hungry for acceptance, hungry for a second start, a second chance. And the list goes on and on and on of the things that we hunger and thirst for. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes on me will never thirst. And as I thought about this, it's like, Lord, there are a lot of people in the church who are hungry and thirsty. They're not being filled. What's going on? And there are a lot of people in the church who are not Christians. They come to church. They hear the message. They may even believe in God and believe the message, but they have not entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. And we're going to see that is the, the bedrock of what Jesus is talking about here today. But then there's also people who have made that commitment to Christ and they're still empty. They're still hungry. They're thirsty. They're not satisfied. Why? And I think for one part of it is we pursue things that are temporal. We're so wrapped up in the things of this life that we're not being filled with the things of eternal life. Because remember, eternal life, according to Jesus, is not just going to heaven. Jesus says in the book of John, this is eternal life, that they may know you, he's praying to the Father, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is about a relationship with God the Father through God the Son that is personal and close 
and intimate. And it starts now. As soon as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and commit to him, we enter into that relationship and eternal life has begun right there. And we can get so caught up in the things of this life. And it's like any relationship. You know, you can have a great marriage, but then things just start happening. You got kids and job and things and bills and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, there's so much stuff going on and you're dealing with so much stuff that you're forgetting to connect with the one that you've committed your life to live with. And you just kind of grow apart, you know? You don't mean to, but you're just so distracted with other stuff. So I think that that's one reason why we get hungry and thirsty because we're just got our attention working for things that are temporary, like Jesus says. But I think another thing, and it's tied to this, is that we are not facilitating the relationship by constantly going back to Jesus. Why do I say this? Because of what just happened the day before, all right? And this is something that doesn't carry over in English at all, but it's in the Greek. Mark chapter 6 has the same account, right, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. But the way that Mark writes it gives an incredible picture of what's happening. In Mark, it says that Jesus continued to give the bread so that the disciples could continue to disperse the bread and the fish. So the picture that Mark is showing us is that Jesus broke the bread and gave the fish to the twelve. They took it out, and Jesus didn't just sit there going, okay, we got 10,000 people plus to feed. Hmm, okay, what, what am I going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll pray a little bit. Maybe, hmm. And, you know, what, what was he doing that whole time? That's a lot of people to feed. What was happening was Jesus was sitting there and the disciples would go out and they would disperse the bread and the fish, but it ran out. So they would go back to Jesus and he would disperse some more to the 12. They'd go back out and they'd run out and they'd go back to Jesus and he'd disperse some more and they'd go back out. And so this is going on and on and on and on until everybody is full to the fill and then the disciples come back and each one of them has their own basket full of food. They were having to continually go back to Jesus in order to give out to the multitudes. And for us as believers, again, it's like any marriage. If you, if you get married and you go, okay, I'm set. Everything's terrific from here on out. I don't have to do anything. No, it, that's just a starting point. And when we get saved, it doesn't mean that, oh, okay, now I just kind of sit around and everything just falls together, right? No, that's just the starting point. We've just begun this relationship. We have to keep going back to Jesus. 
And so what was happening was, as they were ministering to the crowd and feeding them, they had to go back to Jesus. Jesus would fill them up. They would go back and fill the people, and it just kept going back and forth. And I was talking to my daughter about this this morning. She said, you know, Dad, that's the way ministry is. If people who are serving the Lord are not constantly going back to Jesus to get filled up, then they've got nothing to fill other people with, and they get burned out, and they're hungry, and they're thirsty. But when we go back to Jesus regularly to be filled so that we can go out and fill and feed and minister, when it's all said and done, guess what? When we're serving the Lord and serving others, we come out with a basket all to ourselves. We get an abundance of feeding from the Lord. Jennifer and I were talking about that in the, in the car this morning. I, and this is, I don't mean this bad, okay? But I get so much more out of this than you do. I do. And it's just like, oh, this is awesome. I wish I could give you like everything in my heart. Because I get to hang with Jesus. I get to spend time with him and in his word. And then I get to come and share that with you. I'm just getting blessed all the way around. And I can't even begin to share with you a fraction. I, I tossed my notes last night. It's like, I, there's no way. This is just, this one lesson would go on for weeks. So we're doing kind of like the jam-packed, okay, vitamin version, all right, where it's all crammed into one capsule kind of thing. We have to be regularly going back to Jesus. If we are not going to Jesus every day to be filled and to feed on him as we're going to see, we are going to be hungry. We are going to be thirsty. We are going to be weak. It was never intended to be a one-shot deal and then you're good to go till you go to heaven. It's a relationship. And so Jesus carries on from that. And and do, do you notice how he says, this is the will of the Father, who he has, God gave you to Jesus, okay? If you're a believer in Christ, now you may think that you're God's gift to the world, or you're God's gift to your workplace or whatever, you're probably not, okay? I hate to burst your bubble, but did you ever think that you're God's gift to Jesus, And Jesus says, whom the Father has given me, I've got a firm hold on. I'm never going to push away. And they will have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. And we're going to get into that a little deeper in just a moment. But you, as a believer in Christ, are God's gift to Jesus. Oh, my word. Yeah, I know for me, thinking of me and I ponder me, I was like, wow, okay, that's, what, what a gift, you know? Um, it's, it's a, I'm a gift that needs a lot of work, okay? Uh, and and uh, I think I've mentioned this before in one class, but you know when you buy a car and you have that sign on there that says, as is no warranty, Okay. That's what's posted on me when Jesus bought me at the cross. As is no warranty. And Jesus knew that. And he not only just repaired this, this life, but he 
made a whole new life. It's all about him and relationship with him. So Jesus has said this, and now look, now we're going to the the digression of the people. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. Wait a minute, they were just praising him yesterday. Now they're grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. And by the way, they were doing it under their breaths and stuff, but he knew exactly what they were thinking and saying. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Third time that's said. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That is relationship as well as living forever. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So when Jesus says this, they're they're upset. They've gone to praising him. Here's the prophet. Let's make him king too. Who does this guy think he is? We know his mom and dad. We know his background. Who's he to say he came down from heaven? And they refused to believe. They treated him with contempt. And Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Okay? And there's a lot of argument about predestination and and foreknowledge and all that stuff. And uh, it's sad that there's so much division and so much argument about these things. This breaks down very simply. God knows and knew before anything ever happened, before the universe ever existed, who would be his, who would put their faith in Christ. But nobody can come to the Lord unless the Lord draws him. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws them. Why? How can the finite begin to understand, much less pursue the infinite? How can one who is small begin to search for the one who is unsearchable? How can the weak begin to pursue the Almighty? God is not a God like we make for ourselves. He is outside of our frame of mind and understanding. That's why we have hard times with things like the Trinity. That's just, it doesn't fit. No, because God is beyond our comprehension. He is more than we will ever understand. He is the I am that I am. He is the unfathomable God. 
the way that God works in our lives and the way that he works in us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that God teaches angels things about himself that they would have never understood otherwise. They're learning about him by what he does in us. It's amazing. Ephesians talks about that. If angels don't know everything about God, how are we even going to begin to understand him? And so, because of this, you look from the beginning of the scriptures to the end. God is always pursuing people. He is entering into our sphere of life to connect with us because we don't know how to get to him. Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about it, quoting Isaiah. You know, we just, who, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. We'll seek after gods. We'll seek after things to try to fill that imprint that's left from a broken relationship with God because of sin. But we really don't know how to get to him. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God came to us. It's all about him coming to us. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father makes a way for us to comprehend and to grasp him. It's all of the Lord. They refuse to believe. He's the bread of life. And then they digress all the more. Now in verse 52, boy, I better start talking faster. The Jews then disputed among themselves. Understand, when it says the Jews, it's specifically referring to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Okay, that's who it's referring to. They disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're totally out of tune with what Jesus is saying. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, fourth and last time. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Okay, this is huge. Jesus rattles their cage even more. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life. Okay? What's in that statement is vast. It's huge. Jesus is the life. He is the zoe. Okay? The word that's used for life all these times in this passage is zoe, the essence of life, what life truly is, what makes it what it's supposed to be by God's, by God's standard. And Jesus says, I am the zoe. I am the essence of life. 
And if you don't feed on me, you're not going to have it. You may be living physically, bios, but you're not living as I have made it available for you to live. And a lot of people go, well, this is Jesus talking about communion. No, it's not. Okay? Now, when they had communion that was, that was instated by Jesus a year later, okay, because it says in, in John right here at the beginning of chapter 6, the Passover was near. That's not just a little, you know, side note there. It's key to what we're looking at and what Jesus just said. Okay, yes, communion speaks of this. But this was not speaking of communion that was to come. That wasn't instituted yet. With the Passover, it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, you had no leaven. The bread was without leaven. In the scriptures, leaven is a symbol of sin. Jesus is the bread. He is the sinless one. That bread is a picture of Jesus. When Jesus broke the bread at communion, it was unleavened bread. And he broke it. He tore it. This is my body that was given for you. We looked at him being the sacrifice and the high priest and how the curtain in the temple was torn in two and rent in half top to bottom as Jesus' body was torn and broken. Okay, so this is a picture of Christ, but from the Passover mindset, okay, not communion mindset. And the blood, the wine of Passover, there were four cups, okay, not in the Passover of Exodus, okay, but in what's called the rabbinical Passover, all right, the Passover that people celebrate today is not the Passover that was celebrated when they left Egypt. There's a lot of things that were added to it by the rabbis during the diaspora, during the Babylonian captivity to help the people remember things, okay? And that's the kind of Passover that they would have celebrated. There were four cups. First cup was the cup of salvation, okay? remembering when God removed the people out of Egypt. The second was the cup of plagues or of judgment when God judged Egypt. The third cup, and scholars believe this is the one that Jesus was, was taking. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Third cup is the cup of redemption. And Jesus was about to redeem us at the cross through his blood. And you notice that Jesus said, I will not drink this cup again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Fourth cup is praise. We don't see that they had the fourth cup. The praise would come after the cross, after the redemption, which was to come the next day. So in light of the Passover, when Jesus says, drink of my blood, remember the Passover lamb and the blood, the life is in the blood. That's why the law said, don't eat the blood. Jesus says, I'm the life. And unless you drink my blood in which there is life, you're not going to have life. Unless you eat of the sinless sacrifice of the Son of God, the bread of life, you will not have life. 
when you take communion, you're, what you're taking in becomes a part of you, okay? That really dry, weird wafer that we eat, okay? That's a part of you now and will be, okay? The juice, it's in you. That's a part of you now. But it's a part of all of us. Communion, koinonia, fellowship, okay? When we take communion, we are, when we take the same food, the same uh, elements, we're, it's a symbol of being united with Christ, him and us, but also united with each other in Christ because he is in us and we are his body, okay? And as I was, when we had communion this morning and thinking about this stuff, what hit me was you notice how Jesus didn't say, when, what Jesus said was, this is my body, this is my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, do this in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you. That's a part of it. But he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. When Jesus was dealing with the church in Ephesus in Revelation, he says, you know, you're doing great things, but I've got one thing against you. You've left your first love. Repent, turn around and come back to me. Come back. Remember where you have fallen from. Remember our relationship. Remember me. And as I thought about this, like, Lord, you know, I'm, I remember what you've done for me, sure. But God, I forget you. I get so caught up in other things. I need to be going back to Jesus for my food, which is he himself. Every day, I've got to be going back to be fed by my Savior. I need to remember him every day. And put him first. That's what Jesus is talking about. We need to take him in and him be a part of our lives. Not an accessory. But the sustenance of our very being. When many of his, listen to what this says, disciples, verse 69. Disciples, people who are following him regularly, heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by this statement? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, multiple, who did not believe, and who it, singular, was, who would betray him. Judas. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he said one of the twelve was going to betray him. They were offended what Jesus said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Something I forgot to mention. The way that's worded in the Greek is continue to eat, continue to drink. Constantly going back. Constantly feeding on Jesus. The people wanted Jesus for what they could get from him. They did not want him, per se. That being said, there are a lot of people who just want Jesus for what they can get. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to change what I'm doing. And when Jesus comes down to brass tacks of, you know what, we need to have a relationship. You need to take me into your life and me to be a part of your life. Because Jesus says, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, I abide, I reside in him and he in me. We've got this intimacy in this relationship. But if we want to keep Jesus as a peripheral in our lives, we're always going to be hungry. We're always going to be thirsty. We're not going to have life as God intended it. We need to be coming to him all the time, daily to be filled from his word. This is where the word of life is. The word of God. If we try to find fulfillment in anything else, it's not going to work. Even if we're believers, we can try to fulfill ourselves in doing ministry. It's not going to work. We could try to be fulfilling ourselves in doing good things for people. It's not going to fill. Anything but Christ is going to leave us hungry and thirsty. Be encouraged. Take Jesus in every day. He is our bread of life. He is true drink, true food. And as that relationship builds, like the disciples feeding the multitudes, our lives will be an avenue through which God is able to bless people naturally. A byproduct of the relationship bearing fruit not because we try to make it happen it just happens because we're abiding in the vine it's so simple but yet it can be so challenging 